If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open them up to the book of Matthew, the second chapter. So we're going through our series here in December on Christmas. I've got a video that I think uh, kind of sets us off with proper perspective this morning. Mr. Grinch, you really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus, you're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. You're a monster. Mr. Grinch, your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. You're a vile one, Mr. Grinch. You have termites in your smile. You have all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile, Mr. Grinch. Given the choice between the two of you, I'd take the seasick crocodile. You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote, Stink, stank, stunk. You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. You're the king of sinful sots. Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots, Mr. Grinch. Your soul is an appalling dump heap, overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable, mangled up in tangled up knots. You nauseate me, Mr. Grinch. With a nauseous super nos. You're a crooked jerky jockey and you drive a crooked horse, Mr. Grinch. You're a three decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce. Now, I would have swore you didn't have your mask on. I'd have seen you singing. I know some of you have got that song memorized. That Grinch, he has a way of, of stepping in and trying to steal Christmas, doesn't he? Well, it was the day after Christmas at a church in San Francisco, and Mike, the preacher, he'd just gone outside and he was looking around in the nativity set that they had outside there. Something just didn't seem right. And finally he was able to figure it out. The baby Jesus was missing. Someone apparently had stolen Jesus from their nativity set. So he started to head back in the church to call the police when he noticed out of the side of his eye that here come little Jimmy pulling a red wagon. And inside the red wagon was the little baby Jesus. 
And so he, Mike walked over and I asked him, he said, so uh, where did you find that baby Jesus? Well, I got him here at the church, Jimmy replied. Well, <laughs> why did you take the baby Jesus? And this was Jimmy's answer. He said, well, a week before Christmas, I had prayed to the little Lord Jesus, and I asked him if he would make sure that I got a red wagon for Christmas, I would take him around and ride in it around the block. So that's what he was doing. Most of us know this Dr. Seuss, Mr. Grinch, and the story of the people down in Whoville and how the Grinch was tired of, of hearing all their celebrations and he was going to steal it. I mean, he's just this wrinkled up green character, lives up on top of the mountain, and the voices and the sounds, they come up from the valley below and he hears them every year and the happiness and the merrymaking and all the joy that is down there and it just irritates him that it finally he decides one year he's going to go down into Whoville and he is going to steal Christmas. Well, as he crept down that mountain, he began to to slide in and slide out, and he thought Christmas really was about all the things that they had, the trees, the ornaments, the lights. But that wasn't it, was it? As the story goes, Dr. Seuss begins to explain us towards the end that even though everything was gone, they still had the joy of Christmas in their hearts, and they began to sing. You know, sometimes... I think the Grinch is still around today. I think he lives up on the hillside behind your house and he slithers down and he comes into your life and into, tries to steal what he can from you so that you don't have the joy of Christmas. We've got that taking place all over us. We've, we've made something of Christmas into something about material possessions. There have always been those who have hated Christmas. The Grinches of this world, the Ebenezer Scrooges, the, the, the Bertrand Russells, the Richard Dawkinses. There are so many people out there who try to destroy what we believe in our faith in God and what He has done in that miraculous event by sending His Son into this world that first Christmas Eve. Well, this morning we're going to look at the story about a real Grinch who really tried to steal Christmas. So we find our story here in the book of Matthew chapter 2. It's about a king by the name of Herod, Herod the Great, and his attempt at stealing Christmas because he just didn't have the joy in his life. So if you would, let's look at Matthew chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. As assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently 
for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. When we read this story about Herod and the attack that he took against this baby, this infant, We have to understand a few things. Herod, he didn't quite get it, did he? He was mistaken in in the way that Christ was coming into this world, and he really messed up Christmas. So this morning I want to look at three ways that Herod missed the opportunity of a lifetime when it comes to Christmas. First off, Herod, he, he focused on the material aspects of Christmas. I think that's what a lot of us do, isn't it? We focus on the material things of Christmas. So this really was Herod's mistake. Here came the Magi, or the wise men from the east. They were following this supernatural star that had appeared before them, which they had been studying about, and they'd been looking forward to because of their searching in the Scriptures that there was going to be a child born in Israel, which would be this one that had been prophesied about from the Old Testament prophets. And they were anticipating it, and so they headed to none other than Jerusalem where the king would be, thinking he's probably in the king's house. And so here come these wise men. In Matthew 2, 2, it says, Where is he? They're asking Herod, as if he would know. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and and we've come to worship him. Herod's reaction, however, he's threatened by this news. This isn't wonderful news for him. Matter of fact, this news is a little bit more of of, of a caution for him. and, And all he can think about is the material things his power, his own personal wealth, and and his position as king. 
Not what's going to happen if there's a, a new baby that's born to be king. And, and really, you think it's kind of silly when you consider the Messiah. If you understand the Scriptures, who He would be, where He would come from, and what authority and power He would have, that someone would try to stand against Him. I mean, what possibly can be so threatening about a baby? And yet Herod was threatened. And because of his fear, now all of a sudden all of Jerusalem is afraid. What's he going to do? If this child was the Messiah, no matter how maniac this guy could be, he's not going to be able to stand in its way. Yet Herod was determined to protect his own personal position, his own power, no matter the cost. Therefore, sacrificing the lives of all these infant boys, two years old and younger, they were just in his way. Whatever it took to guarantee that that child would not come to the throne, Herod the great was willing to do. But you think there's also this modern mistake that's going on as well. It's not just in Herod's time. It's not just Herod. It has found its way all the way into the 21st century, into our lives and into our communities and into our leaderships. This Grinch made the same mistake. He focused on the material prospects as well. He, he, he thought he could steal Christmas from the, the Whovillians and take their joy and their loud music and celebration away. If he went down and he stole their Christmas trees and their ornaments and their gifts and their lights and anything and everything that to them seemed to be Christmas. Can anyone really steal Christmas? Of course not. You can steal the items of Christmas, but you can't steal Christmas. If I were to ask the average American what they think about Christmas... And I would say, what is the first thought that pops into your head when you hear the word Christmas? Christmas what? Christmas presents? Christmas, Christmas cookies? Christmas lights? Christmas trees? Christmas, Christmas uh, decoration? How about Christmas sales? Christmas celebration? Food? Family? Do we overemphasize the material things of Christmas? That's been a question a lot of people have been asking through the years. Would Christmas still be Christmas without all the lights and the trimmings and the gifts and the songs? You see, financial hard times come upon people at different points in life. So does that destroy their opportunity to celebrate Christmas because they can't purchase the gift that they want to give? They may not even be able to purchase the items to make a gift to give. But does that destroy Christmas? No, it's not about the material things. It's not about the tangible. It's about the spirit of Christmas and what comes with it. We've got to be cautious that we don't allow Christmas to be stolen from us because we put the wrong emphasis like Herod did. There's power in Christmas. A couple years ago when I was traveling in Israel, we, we went into Bethlehem. 
into a souvenir shop where we'd find all kinds of souvenirs that you could buy, anything from dollars to thousands of dollars. And then you would have the opportunity to take that back. And, and everybody really loved to look at the olive wood stuff that was there, all the carvings from the master artisans around in Bethlehem and in Jerusalem. And, and so these precious gifts that are made. And we had some people that were buying different things. And there was one couple who bought a nativity set, a very nice nativity set. And we discovered that as we were leaving Tel Aviv in the airport, you have to go through customs and declare what you're, you're taking with you, and they want to go through your things. And it was interesting to note that one of the customs agents was really scrutinizing this nativity set that was being taken home. And he's looking at it and, and sending it through their x-ray machine and all that kind of stuff because he's concerned about it what it is. And when he was asked, what, why, are you, why are you so concerned about that? The agent simply said, we have to check to make sure that there are no explosives in the nativity figures. Christmas is explosive, isn't it? It's powerful. Matter of fact, Paul tells the church in Rome that there is power in this story about Jesus coming into the world. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the, it is the power of God for the salvation. The word power is the word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. There is power, there is explosiveness in the gospel story about Jesus coming into this world. God himself taking on the form of man and coming in and residing with us. There is power there. There's power in knowing that God loved us enough to come down to earth, to be born in a manger, to live a perfect life, to die upon a cross for our sins, to be buried in a borrowed tomb, and then to rise to life by His own power. And He offers us a promise. If we put our faith in Him, that not even death will hold us down, that we too shall live again, and our sins will be forgiven now that's power. And it comes through this tiny infant on that one holy night. To be born in a manger to change the world. The second thing that Herod did wrong, he also missed the family connection. Maybe sometimes we're, we're just like that. We miss it as well. But Herod, man, he... He really missed it, and, and he didn't discover the importance of his family. As I did my study this week, I, I found out that Herod the Great had been married nine times. He had nine wives, maybe ten wives, not for sure uh, about the tenth one. But he had at least nine sons and many daughters. And, and he was there, uh, he, was, he was put in position of, of being the king over Israel because Caesar put him there. Uh, but Herod really would never have sat upon that throne because he was from Edom, and he was half Jew, and the other was half Edomite, which was the descendants of Esau. So he really never would have been able to sit as king had not Herod or had not Caesar put him there. Herod didn't focus on his family relationships and the closeness that should be with all his family. Matter of fact, the slightest suspicion that somebody would be trying to overthrow his throne and take themselves and put them into position, Herod would put people to death. Even put his, quote, as he said, his favorite wife, Miriamna, to death, along with her brothers and her grandfather. Matter of fact, Herod 
killed three of his sons because he thought they wanted his throne before he died. Herod was this mean, this nasty, this vile man. He was really a Grinch. Matter of fact, Caesar even joked that it would be better if you be one of Herod's pigs than one of Herod's sons. Because he said with Herod being half Jewish, he would never touch or kill a pig, but he would his sons. With the announcement of the birth of the king of the Jews, Herod didn't think how wonderful. He thought how dreadful. Somebody's going to come and take me off my throne. What am I going to do? So he plotted and he schemed. He thought to himself. So with all of this, Herod missed the most precious thing in life that God has given us besides our salvation. It's our families. And that's something we think is very important, especially around Christmas time, isn't it? We can't wait for the family to get back together. That's one of the first things we ask people, so are your kids coming home? So are you going to go visit them? Are you, you, the family is important. We recognize that. Salvation most definitely is important, but also family. And Herod, he, he missed it. He should have treasured them, but with his twisted perspective, he made them his enemies. What about the importance of our families? Is your family important to you? I mean, do we focus on our families? Do we, do we appreciate our wives, our husbands, our noisy children, our mean-spirited parents? Our homes should be a place where love is found. How would you classify yourself? Are you self-centered or are you others-centered? And that is really displayed in your love, the kind of love that you have for one another. Two types of love that we see when it comes to families. There is this word that's called phileo in Greek. It means the brotherly love, the kind that you have for your family members. But that love, it's based on feelings, it's based on conditions, and really it's self-centered because it's what can I get from you to satisfy me. The other one that the Bible speaks of primarily in the New Testament is the word agape. It's not based on feelings. It's based on commitment. And it is not conditional. It is unconditional. And it is other-centered. No greater love should we have than to love our Father in heaven and our neighbor as ourselves. We need to focus on those around us. Our goal is to help each other become more like Jesus And Jesus did not consider himself, but he considered us first. A woman was being interviewed about the secret to her successful marriage. She says, my husband is the boss. I believe in letting him make all the important decisions. And the interviewer asked her, well, what do you mean the boss? Who made the decision that he would be the boss? And she said, well, naturally I did. But there's a point in this that's biblical. To make him the boss, he doesn't take it, he doesn't command it, he doesn't deserve it. She gives it. Nobody can be your boss unless you relent and submit to them. And that's what she's trying to get across. Jesus is our Lord, He is our Savior, He is our King, but we submit to Him in that. 
a story about a young boy who asked his father how much he made an hour. And the father is kind of quizzed about it, and he, so he told him, I make this much an hour, and, and, and the, the young man was satisfied, so he ran off. Well, well, that week he spent time around the neighborhood doing odd jobs from the neighbors, trying to earn enough money, and when he had enough money, he then came to his father, he says, I want to buy an hour of your time. Have we gotten to the point where everything else is more important than our families? That we're willing to sacrifice our family to keep ourselves on our own throne. That's what Herod did. If we ever ought to put other things aside and focus on our families, it's during Christmas. Don't let the Grinches of this life steal your family's Christmas. Third thing that Herod missed was this. I think he ultimately missed the, the real meaning of Christmas. He didn't see it. He didn't understand it. I mean, he really blew it. He missed it. Even though the Magi told him about this extraordinary star which they had seen when they were out east and they, they traveled all this way to come and to find this one, he trusted his own reasoning and he found a way to explain all this away. You see, he couldn't trust God alone and accept that there were some things that are beyond our understanding and our comprehension and more mysterious than we can ever believe. So he decided to take charge of things himself. Even when his own Bible scholars there, when, when they told him about the identity of the Christ, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. Listen to what they said in Micah 5 too. But you... O Bethlehem, Ephrata, who are you to be among the clans of Judah? For from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. I mean, he couldn't comprehend that, that God would become man, that, that deity would take on humanity, that, that the one who was eternal would find himself confined within the scope of time itself. And yet that's exactly what God did in this tiny infant that was born there on that first Christmas night. Herod only saw his power, his prestige, his position disappearing before his eyes because of a child that is born. Bishop Cyril of Alexandria during the 5th century, he made this statement about the birth of Jesus and about him. He said, for although visible and a child in swaddling cloths, and even in the bosom of his virgin mother, he filled all creation as God and was a fellow ruler with him who begat him, for the Godhead is without quantity and dimension and cannot have limits. That's who this baby was. And Herod thought, if I can get rid of him, it's all mine. But he knew what he should do. Matter of fact, that's what he told the wise men, isn't it? Hey, when you find him, would you come back and tell me? That way I can come and worship him too. He knew what he should do, and that's why he lied about it. But he would never submit to Christ. Self would always stay on his throne. Now, the first demand for our salvation 
is humbling ourselves to Christ. Matter of fact, when you listen to what Jesus tells us to do, we hear that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, when Jesus is telling his disciples, if they want to be saved, if they want eternal life, what should we do? He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Herod refused to do that. (laughs) And not surprisingly, many of us choose not to do that as well. We want to keep ourselves on our own throne, and we don't want anybody else to tell us what to do. We want to be the rulers of our destiny. Self wants to stay in control. Self thinks principally of itself. I mean, what's good for me? What furthers my interest? What do I want? But God demands that we put Him first. Matter of fact, even that Jesus, this baby who was born, just moments before he would die, would say to his Father in heaven, not my will, but your will be done. He demonstrated to us what it is to humble ourselves and to embrace the ultimate and the most holy will of God in heaven. And Herod wasn't willing to turn over his kingdom to Jesus. But are you? Are you willing to turn over your kingdom, the throne upon which you sit in your own life, and surrender that to him? We've been asked to do so. Herod felt that his individuality, his, his freedom, his, it would be threatened by this child king. So it's better just to snuff out his little life than to lose everything he's got. And Herod really missed it. But have we missed it? I mean, you can have all the gifts. You can put up as many trees as your heart's desire. You can have the lights trimming around your house, and you can even make it go with music. You can cook all the sweet treats and play all the Christmas music 24-7 for a whole month if you want to. But if you're refusing to surrender your kingdom to the one who is in that manger, then you're rebelling, being rebellious just like Herod. So go ahead, usurp his throne, take it from him if you dare. But like Herod, I don't think we can. See, if you can try and remove him from your world, but I know and I guarantee you can't. It's just not going to happen. There is no way that we can disenfranchise ourselves as a world from the creator of this world, no matter what we do. We cannot take it upon ourselves. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, 
there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it forevermore, the zeal to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to do this. We can't do anything against Him. There isn't just a season of giving and receiving of material things. It's a season of coming to the King in order to worship Him, the Son of God. He came into this world to lay claim on the throne of your heart. That's really what he wants. Our worship team would like to come up. One of the last nights of a revival meeting around Christmas time, it was in a mining community over in England, and the evangelists have been preaching, and in walks this, this burly, tough miner character, and he's got... Obviously, there's something going on because they can notice that this deep anxiety of his heart is right there. And, and, and he walks up to the evangelist after the meeting that night, and he asked him what he needed to do to be saved. Well, the preacher said, well, let me sit down and talk with you. And so they had a conversation, and, and, and he knew that the Spirit was touching his heart, and he needed to do something. And it made it for him this awful discovery that who he really was was this sinful man who did not deserve to have everlasting life in heaven. Matter of fact, he deserved to have everlasting life in hell. So the preacher explained to him the way of salvation, that Jesus had come into this world as a, as a baby being born in a manger, innocent, vulnerable, to give his life for us. And that he came in to seek and to save those who are lost, who we all are a part of. And that he had given his life on a cross as a ransom for us. And that Jesus then becomes our divine substitute on that cross to, to take upon his shoulders the sin of the world if we'd be willing to place ours there. And if we would trust in him and in the sacrifice that he made, that even if we die, we can live. He needed to just accept the fact that Jesus is Lord. To repent of his sins, to, to be baptized into his name. And he would find his salvation. But this miner, he couldn't believe that God would forgive him. Because he knew who he was. He knew exactly what he had done. And he knew how, how cruel and vindictive and mean a man he had been. There was no way that he could see God forgiving him. Hours passed as they continued to talk. Finally, the preacher urged him, well, you just need to understand and surrender yourself to the Lamb of God who, who came to take away the sins of the world. But he just still couldn't do it. So finally, it was about 11 o'clock that night, and the preacher said, why don't you... Next Sunday, I'll be gone, but next Sunday, why don't you come back to this church or find another church and begin to study more and listen to what God is trying to teach you. And the miner said this. He says, we've got to, we've got to get this done tonight. He says, I'm not going to leave until I settle it tonight or never. 
So they remained on. It was about 3 a.m. Finally, he submitted himself to the leading of the Spirit. He took himself off of his own throne and he allowed Jesus to take that throne. And he confessed his sins. He promised God he was going to live a different life. He was buried in the waters of baptism. As he came up out of that watery grave with tear-filled eyes, he said, it's settled now. Christ is mine. He thanked the preacher and he left and he went on to go work his job in the mine that day. And, and as they were working through that day, it was just a wonderful feeling of what he had done the night before. But something happened during that work day. There was a little bit of a rumble and the, the cave, the roof of the mine collapsed on a bunch of the workers. And they tried to, to go in and to save and to, to bring them out. And finally they got to this man and he was still alive, but barely. And he whispered to them this statement, thank God it was settled last night. Those were his last words. Little did the miner know as he was wrestling the night before that his soul would be required of him that day. And yet, he had a firm understanding it must be settled tonight or never. The same thing is true about you and me. Some of you, or even me for that matter, we may not have tomorrow. We may not even have tonight. We just simply don't know. This world has a lot of Grinches out there that are trying to steal the message of Christmas from you. Don't let them. 